You guys ready for the word? All right, good. We're going to have some fun today. You guys okay with that? We're going to do a little history lesson today. If you're a guest with us today, we've been talking about discipleship, and we've been talking about how we as Christians in America have got to move from believing just in God to following God. Amen? Amen. And how in America we have a major following problem. We have a major following problem, following God. And a disciple is one who uh, follows Christ. A disciple is one who is being changed by Christ. And third, a disciple is one who is what? They are engaged in the mission of Christ. They are actually following him and they're discipling and they're being a disciple and discipling others. They are actually part of the mission. We're all on a mission, and it's not a mission impossible, amen? amen. It's a mission possible, amen? And so uh, we've been talking about what a disciple looks like so that we know what we're to look like, amen? And so hopefully the messages have been encouraging you, and there really is a method to the madness. There is a plan or where we're trying to go with this message because I really believe God is trying to build an army, And I believe you guys are a part of that army. Amen? And some people quit in basic training. And uh, basic training is, is meant to make you tough, right? And so we're kind of in basic training. No, we are in basic training, not kind of. Some people are kind of in it, but we all need to get in it. We need to put all the chips in the ta- on the table in, and we need to be all in. Can I have an amen on that? Amen. amen. So today we're going to go through a little history lesson just a little bit. I enjoyed the word this, this week as I was studying if we could go ahead and get the PowerPoint started, it's going to start with a little map here, and you're going to find out where we're going here shortly. But this is really basically a map of Israel in the time of Jesus, and we're going to use this just as a little tool today to kind of take us where uh, Jesus walked and why he did what he did, because he was a man on a mission. And so we're going to kind of use the map to help us. Uh, there's the Mediterranean Sea, there's the Sea of Galilee, there's more to Israel than that, but this is where we're going to concentrate on today. We're going to get into the Word, and we're going to talk about a little bit today, kind of about 90 days of Jesus' life. We're going to central in on 90 days of Jesus' life, and we're going to use this map and some other things to talk about what was going on in Jesus' life. We're going to, if you have your Bibles today, you can actually open to the book of Matthew, and we're going, to go, we're going to start in Matthew 4 today. And, uh, but what I want to do is I want to kind of set the stage of what was going on. We've already talked about Matthew 4.19, where Jesus called his disciples. Out of, more, out of Matthew 4.19, he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that's kind of been the theme scripture over the last several weeks as we've been talking about what a disciple is. And now I want to kind of dive into where the last night, not last 90 days, but the, really the 90 days of the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry and kind of give you a little context from where we're going to talk about and where we're going to go. So the scripture we're getting ready to read in Matthew 4, what has happened in, in Israel in this, in this area is it's under Roman occupation the children of Israel are basically serving, serving Roman uh, domination, occupation. They have really taken over Judea, and um, God's people are really not following 
God. Okay? Kind of like America. You know, we, we profess, 80% of Americans profess they believe in Christ, but we know based on our, our, our nation and where we're at, that's probably not a true representation. Would you guys agree with me on that? And so that's kind of the state of, uh, the, of Israel is people believed in God. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, and there was a religious structure that was in place, but not many people were serving God. Not many people were devoted, full followers of, uh, of God. You guys realize that? They were a lot like where we're at. And so Jesus is on the scene. He comes into, and, 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 and he is... He's grown up now. He hits the age of 30, and he's, he's, he's in, he, he lives right here. I'll point to it. Nazareth, everybody said, right there. Okay, Nazareth. That's where Jesus lived. That's where he was from. It's the land of Galilee, so it's uh, a lot like the state of Indiana, and he lived in the town of Nazareth in Indiana when you talk about the whole nation. And so, the nation was, had turned away from God. John the Baptist was preaching. John was going all over the wilderness. He was along the River Jordan. Here's where the River Jordan is, just to give you guys an idea. The River Jordan comes from the Salt Sea and goes all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. This river flows all the way down through here. And John the Baptist was in this area right here, and he was baptizing people. And he would go back out into the desert, and he would eat locusts. Doesn't that sound like fun? He was, an, he was a real naturalist, we'll say. And so John the Baptist was preaching, and he was preparing the way for the Lord, and he was telling people to what? Does anybody remember? Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John the Baptist was down here, and he was preaching, and he was trying to get all these people here to turn their hearts back to God. And that's what the body of Christ is all about right now. We should be declaring, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand, man. God is coming back. Jesus is going to return, and you best be ready. Amen, amen. So John the Baptist is down here baptizing people. Something comical going on over here. Lord, help him. I'm setting the stage. And so Jesus goes to John the Baptist. He gets water baptized. Holy Spirit comes and descends on Christ like a dove. And the word comes, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? And as soon as Jesus Christ gets baptized by John, he then goes into the wilderness, right? And he goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and he is in the desert because he is in a place of preparation and fasting. And the enemy comes and he tempts Jesus in those 40 days, right? So we're, we're, we're now into uh, maybe the 60, 60 days of Jesus. And so um, Jesus comes out of the wilderness. Once he comes out of the wilderness, the angels attend to him. They, they bless him. They help him. He regains some strength. He eats and all that kind of stuff. And then he starts to hear that now John the Baptist has been put in prison. Okay? You guys with me? You tracking with me? He hears that John the Baptist has been put in prison by Herod in Judea. Look where Judea is. Okay? So they got really ticked off at John the Baptist, and now they're throwing him in prison, and Jesus hears about this, and some things are getting ready to take place. Okay? 
So Jesus is in Nazareth. Now he, moved, he goes back up to Nazareth. He's living here. He hears this word that John the Baptist has been put in prison. And guess what he does? He now decides that he is going to move from Nazareth to Capernaum, right here. You guys see that? He is gonna, he, this is about a 21-mile track from Nazareth to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. This would be called a nice vacation spot. The average temperature does not get below 57 degrees in this spot. And Capernaum is a town of about 1,500 people, okay? Not a real big city. And Jesus is now deciding he's going to start his public ministry in Capernaum, okay? And you may wonder, well, you know, and, and as I've been studying this, I'm sitting here going, why did, but it is to fulfill prophecy, okay? Whether you realize it right now, prophecy of Isaiah, Daniel, and all that kind of stuff, that stuff is being fulfilled in our day right now, and we don't even know it. There are things going on that God is fulfilling, and we don't have even a clue that it's being fulfilled. But Jesus goes, and he moves to Capernaum. I'm talking he moves. He plans to stay there for a while. Now, there are many scholars, they don't know whether he actually uh, bought a house. We don't know. Uh, we know later on he lived with Peter for a while and moved around. So, but Jesus, now one of the things is Nazareth is a real high place. This is about 2,100 feet higher than this here. So, we're, so when the Bible says he went down to Capernaum, he went down to Capernaum. We're talking 2,100 feet in elevation drop. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you a picture of Capernaum. Here's a picture of Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum's right down in here, Okay. So Capernaum's on this north, north, southeast, northwest, there we go, northwest corner. So this is the Sea of Galilee, guys. This is where Jesus starts his public ministry. Isn't that pretty cool? Pretty good view. Want to see another view of it? Okay, you see it down there, nestled along the river? See how it's green around the lake, but it's kind of deserty out around? This is the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus goes. Now, you may think, why are you doing this? I'm really doing this because I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was cool, okay? No. But I'm trying to set a context for where Jesus was at because we're going to read a passage out of, of, out of Matthew. We're going to read a passage out of Matthew, and we're going to read a passage out of Luke that give two variations about, about Jesus as he's starting his public ministry. Because again, he's calling forth disciples. You're going to see where I'm going with this in here in just a, just a second. So he's going to this town, 1,500 people, and we're going to read now, if you will, with me. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew 4. Verse 17, or you can read the wall right here. Okay. I'm going to go somewhere with this, and I hope this really blesses you. From the time on, Jesus began to preach, wow, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Hmm. Sounds familiar about what John was. I have told a lot of people in my day, repent. I just need to add, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? It's near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother, and his brother Andrew. I did his brother twice, didn't I? And his brother and his brother. <laughs> this is the brother from another mother. <laughs> Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. I'm going to back up. So just imagine that little boat right there. They're along the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has come from over here in Nazareth. He's come down, and he's starting his public ministry. And these guys are right here at the edge of the river on the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that cool? This is real stuff. So at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I was talking to Alex this week, and I was like, I wonder why Zebedee didn't leave and follow Jesus. Just thought it was kind of interesting. The two guys did. Now, let's look at another rendition of this out of Luke. This is Luke's account of this exact same thing. And I like how Luke does it because Luke gives you a little more information out of Luke 5. And I really encourage you to write these scriptures down and, man, go home and look at them and read and get your Bible maps out. Have fun with it. This is what the Bible is supposed to be. It's supposed to come alive. And that's really why I show these pictures. You need to kind of get a visual of where Jesus was at and what was going on. As, because we're going to see that he was, he was doing things on purpose. Out of Luke 5, this is the account of Luke. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Now, here's what we need to realize. Quit reading for just a second. As I set the context of this, you got to realize Jesus had already started healing people. He had already come to Galilee. He had already started things. And people were hearing about what he was doing. Now, in a town of 1,500, a little larger than Spiceland, Indiana, get the context, how quickly would it move through a town of 1,500 when a paralytic like Joel is made to walk, when a demon demoniac is delivered, how quickly do you think news would travel through Capernaum? It would be like lightning. Did you hear? Oh, wow. I mean, it would travel quickly, right? So on the occasion, the crowd has already, so John, or Luke's given us a little different rendition. It looks like Jesus and Matthew just came by and said, hey guys, come follow me. But now we see there's a little more to the story and that the people were pressing around, around Jesus. They had already started to hear what was going on and people were coming to hear what was, what was going on. And they were pressing in on Jesus. So imagine the scene on that Sea of Galilee. There's a couple boats right on the edge of the water. And people are gathering around Jesus and they're wanting to hear the word of God that comes from him. A little different situation. Are you guys with me? Are you tracking with the story? And so now we come here and it says, pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So picture Jesus. He cast it out maybe about 100 yards, has, has Simon Peter anchor the boat. All these people are gathered around this shoreline. Temperature's about 75 degrees, sun's shining. And they're listening to the word of God come out of Jesus. You guys with me? Sounds like a good message, right? And so they're wanting to know what he has to say. So they're all around him, getting into the one of the boats. Simon's okay. And 
he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, when he had finished preaching, when he had finished teaching what he had, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Here we go. Jesus, he is, he is starting his, his ministry. Hey, he's getting ready to show Simon Peter something. He's getting ready to get inside of his heart. He's getting ready to get inside of his head. And Simon, he says, Cast down your, cat, uh, put, put out in the deep and let's down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. <laughs> and when they had done this, the, in, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, I think that's important, partners in the boat. I think they had a partnership in fishing, a fishing business. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Is that a catch or what? I mean, and these boats, I mean, if you would, if I could, I wish, probably should have showed you a boat. They weren't real, real large boats. But can you imagine how many fish it would take to, to sink two boats? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Repent, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand as what he had been communicating. And what does Peter do? He repents. He falls on his knees at this miracle and he repents. He has a revelation now of his poverty spiritually. And he repents. I am a man, a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, <laughs> you will be catching men. <laughs> and when they had brought their boats to land... What did they do? They left everything and followed him. Now, oops, they left everything and followed him. Now when you see this picture and you're at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus has preached a message, he's done, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. He captures four guys' hearts and they begin to follow him. They let go of the fishing business. I don't know what that looked like. There's not a lot in there. Obviously, uh, the dad, Zebedee, must have kept fishing. And they followed Christ, and they start following him. Isn't that a pretty good picture? Is that, guys, is that good? He calls Matthew. Later on in chapter 9 of, of Matthew, he then calls Matthew, who is a tax collector, and Matthew didn't get to see the paralytic healed. He didn't get to see the demon cast out of the demoniac into the pigs, but he'd already heard about it. And he comes to Matthew, and Matthew's collecting taxes in his booth. If you can see in this town of Capernaum, they had to go pay their taxes to Caesar. They had to pay taxes to the Roman government. <laughs> and so 
Matthew's in this tax booth, and Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, come follow me. He takes out of his booth, and he goes and follows. I mean, really, come on, guys. Let's think about, this is real-time stuff. This is real. This is what actually happened in a town of 1,500, in a town called Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, where these guys made their living from fishing or making taxes. And he arrested some disciples' hearts. And he wants to arrest your heart. He wants to inconvenience you. He wants to interfere with your life, what you think your life is. He wants to come and interfere with your life. And we give him the only interferences. Maybe we let him interfere on us on Sunday morning. Maybe. Sleep is good. But not that good. Can I have an amen on that? Jesus was on a mission, and we talked about that last week, that true disciples in this mission engage with him on the mission. These four men were now captured. Their hearts were now captured, and they were now going to follow him, and they were getting ready to discover the mission that Jesus was on. How many want to discover that mission that Jesus is on? So what I want to do is I begin to build this message today. I want to, we got to, how was it that Jesus discipled? How was it that he did what he did? And we need to learn from him and we need to copy or or reduplicate, thank you, what he does, amen? If we're going to be disciples, then we need to learn how Jesus did it. And the first thing that I want to, one of the reasons why I went so deep into this passage and I pulled from two passages is I want, to see, I want you to see something about Jesus, how intentional Jesus was, how deliberately he had a game plan and he was executing his game plan. And he was going through Galilee, and he was preaching, teaching, healing people, and people were starting to gather to him. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of people following him. I don't know. It even talks in the scripture where Diacopolis and Judea, and people all started even coming to Galilee to hear about what was going on. So now was it, not only, it was not only affecting Capernaum, but now the surrounding area was starting to hear about Jesus. I get excited about Jesus. Anybody else? And he was being intentional. And we need to model that intentionality. Can I have an amen on that? So Jesus was intentional. He went after 12 men and he said, come follow me. He was intentional and purposeful and he had a game plan. Now, another scripture that I want to show you, it's out of Luke 6. And this really stuck out to me as I was studying this week. It says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from among them 12 whom he named apostles. I had never seen this. He called all his disciples together, but he chose 12. And he called them apostles. Now, I don't know why I'd never noticed this. But, you know, when I think of disciples, I was, I've always just been thinking of the 12, the 12, the 12. No, he had multiple, multiple, multiple disciples. We know that. But 
he literally did something. He intentionally took 12 men out of that group of people that were now following him who had said yes to Jesus. And he started creating jealousy. He started creating a band of brothers. He started creating a relational environment, and he was going to begin to now pour into these men, and he was going to spend a lot of time with these guys. And they were 12 of many. And I wonder, I wish it it said more, I wonder how Jesus arrived at those 12, but my guess it was through I imagine as all these people were gathering around him, he started to isolate some people that were really hungry, who were different, who weren't apathy, who weren't, but they were fireballs. They wanted more. They wanted to go for something. They wanted to follow a man that was doing something. My guess, it was the people who were at every meeting, who was at every preaching, was every mountain, with every river, where every place he went. When he got in the boat and he traveled across to, what's that, Gennaris? I can't remember, that's really a funky name. My guess is those guys were following right behind him, hanging on every word that came out of the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but upon every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. They were dripping with his words. They were, they were hanging on everything he said. They were wanting to know what made him tick. They weren't passive. They weren't guys that could uh, take it or leave it. They weren't guys that went back to work. They were guys that were really wanting more. They were intentional. So we notice here, 12 men among many followers who were serious and intentional and wanted more. See, I believe where God's taking us as a people is if we're going to be like Jesus Christ and we're going to be followers and we're going to be disciples and we're going to be about his mission, we have got to be about what his heart is. And we've got to be intentional ourselves. Intentional leaders are people who are looking for someone else to lead, but they're also someone who is wanting to be led. See, I believe intentional leaders are people who are willing to submit to authority, but also who want to be leaders in their own right, and they want to help others get where they're going. You guys believe that? They're people who lead by example wherever they are, and they're there to explain and help others to improve and help people to grow in their Christian walk and their faith. Intentional leaders are people who have influence in the life of someone else. Jesus had influence in 12 men's lives, but a whole lot of other people, they were hanging on every word that he said. And if we're going to follow him, we have to hang on his word, we have to hang on him, we have to seek him, we have to worship him, but we, if we're going to be intentional leaders, we've got to be people who want to help somebody else along as well. Can I have any men? And I'm going to give you an example. You might say, well, that's not me, but we are, this is who we are. We all have unsaved loved ones, we all have unsaved people at work, 
You may be some, uh, me and Abraham, a, week, or a couple weeks ago, we were up in northern Indiana on a college visit during fall break. And we were in the hotel morning for breakfast, and we were eating, getting ready to go to the school. And this lady starts, I just try to catch, I, she's, she works there at the hotel. She was filling up stuff, and I just thanked her and asked her how she was doing. And, and I, all of a sudden, I was discipling. <laughs> all of a sudden, right in the middle of Goshen, Indiana, this lady starts pouring out her life. She'd just given her heart to Christ. She was just getting ready to be water baptized. She was just getting ready to make a greater commitment to Christ. And she says, you know what? Now, this, 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 this isn't where this conversation started. The conversation started me loving on her. The conversation, thanks for serving us. Thanks for helping us. You know, how are you doing today? That's how the conversation started. But the discipleship kicked in really quick. And she starts pouring out her life. She goes, I don't know if I'm going to get water baptized. They want to water baptize me next week, but I'm just not worthy. <laughs> you just opened fresh meat for a lion, man. <laughs> what do you mean you ain't worthy? <laughs> That's right, you ain't worthy. <laughs> Neither am I. And I said, water baptism is not about being worthy. It's about being surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and what he has done for you. And he has made you worthy. This is about obedience. And I started teaching her about water baptism. And I taught her about that. And all of a sudden, then she starts spilling her guts. But, but I live with my boyfriend. <laughs> really? I didn't oh, get religious on her. Really? I said, well, what's God saying to you about that? He's not the one for me. Really? Why? He can't stand God. Beep, 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 beep. We have a problem in Houston. But did I tell her that? Did I tell her that? No, the Spirit of God was already at work. I was only working where the Spirit of God was working. I was doing what he was doing. Make a long story short, she cries. Abe goes to the room, and I keep talking to the minister to her, and she cries. I'm going to get water baptized Sunday. I am going to do this. I'm going to follow God. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. That's so fun. I got up to the room, and Abe goes, did you tell her you're a pastor? I said, nope. <laughs> she called me an angel, and I said, baby, I'm not an angel. Baby, I'm not an angel. I'm just a messenger from the Lord here to help you in your walk with Christ. That's what we're about. You don't have to have a theology degree. <laughs> Isn't that fun? You may be a dad or a mom, and you're trying to disciple your kids. You may be uh, a small group leader or you might be at work and all these people, they need to know Christ. And all you got to do is love and coach and share the word of God without saying John chapter 4 says this. But you pull for what's going on in their heart. You work where the spirit of God is working. 
We are called by God to be intentional leaders who want to be coached and who are willing to coach and help others. Leading by example. Can I have an amen on that? We're on a mission. We are on a mission. Everybody say, I'm on a mission. I'm on his mission. I'm on his mission. Say it again. You're not got to hear it. I'm on his mission. Yeah, say it like you mean it. You may say, oh, Eric, I can't do that. I don't know enough. I'm afraid. I would tell somebody the wrong thing. What do you think is speaking there? Fear. I can't do that, Eric. Oh, yes, you can. I don't know enough. Oh, yes, you do. You know more than you're actually walking in. You've got enough biblical truth in you right now to help somebody. All you have to have is you have to be a little further down the road than they are. And I'm saying a little further down the road. You say, oh, Eric, I couldn't do that. I'm not ready. Know what is actually needed. <laughs> what it actually will do is it will put pressure on you to get the word of God in you. To shake the dust off the word of God on your shelf. And it will force the pressure. When you're helping somebody else, it provides pressure on you to get in the word of God so that you know what to tell people. So you know how to help them. It's like, oh, I don't know. Why don't I know? Ooh, all of a sudden I find I'm not as far along as I think I am. Well, if I don't know, where do I go to find out if I know? And so if you don't start helping, if you never make a, a draw or a demand on the gift that you are, you'll never get where God wants you to be. It's like people who come up here when the word of prophecy and, and there's a prophetic spirit in the house and they come up and they share with me, hey, Eric, this is what I'm sensing from the Lord. If you never make a demand on that gift, if you never come up to me and say, this is what I'm feeling like God's saying, you'll never prophesy. If you wait to get all of it, you'll never prophesy any of it. Because you got to make a draw. you got to make a demand on that gift when you feel something from the Lord. And so when you're with people, you're at work, you're in these, these situations around at school, and you know someone's hurting, it's like, ooh, I could help you with that. And you make a demand on the gift. You make a demand on your love. And if you don't know what to tell them, you say, guess what? I don't know. Is there anything wrong with I don't know, but I will find out? Well, where did the dinosaurs come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but again, when you help people, it makes you get in the Word of God so that you have something to give. Does that make any sense to anybody? I'm going to give you a little example of this. You guys want an example? If Jesus was an intentional leader and he had a game plan, we must learn the game plan, right? Well, here's what happened to me in high school. In high school, I had several basketball coaches. I know it doesn't look like I played basketball. I can still be a good post player. I just can't run fast. But in basketball in high school, we had a lot of great coaches that were great people, 
but they were lousy coaches because they didn't have a game plan and they didn't have a strategy. There was nothing where we were, when we were running plays and we were being taught something, the, the beginning of the teaching never, it never, it never made sense to the end. It's like when he was teaching a play, when they were teaching us stuff to do, it never built upon the other and it never went somewhere. And so we never won a lot of games. It was just like, and to this day, um, when, I, when I play basketball or when I watch basketball being played and I see some of the stuff that's going, it's like, there's a strategy there, but I don't know what it is because I wasn't taught the strategy in basketball. And so a lot of guys who have been taught strategy in basketball, they understand what's going on. And I'm just going, boy, that was a good play. I mean, what I was taught was screen. You know, if your guy was coming here, you screened your guy. And as soon as he hit you, you rolled for the shot and you would look for the ball. But what I noticed is when my boys started playing high school basketball. Now, there is a lot of controversy over basketball in Newcastle. And there's a lot of controversy over this coach. But... This coach taught some very foundational principles about basketball, and he had a strategy. And what he would do is he, as a basketball coach, he would take these guys in 7th and 8th grade, and they would start with the offense that they they were going to play in high school. And what he would do is he would teach basics and foundations of the offense here, and by the time they got to playing high school basketball, That offense was still the same. He just had moderations and variations of that offense. And it was building. So when they started in eighth grade and ninth grade, although the offense was different by the time they were juniors and seniors, it was still the same foundation and it was still the same principles. And he was just adding to that process. And it was a strategy. And so practices were always, every year he started his practices out the same way. And the foundational principles of his practice were all on foundations and ball handling and the foundations of basketball. And you say, well, where are you going with that, Eric? The same thing applies in the body of Christ. We have foundational principles. We have things that we have got, and we have got to be intentional. Like that coach He was more intentional in the process and the purpose and the strategy of where he was going, even though many people conflicted with him and didn't agree with his strategy. One thing I liked about him is though everybody was complaining, he believed in his strategy, and he stuck to it. Now, for those who didn't like that coach, sorry. What it did in teaching my boys about basketball, it taught them this. Number one, you submit to authority even when you don't like authority. You listen, you come, follow me, and I will make you disciples of men. See, the coach actually is starting to produce other boys that coach. He's not just, he was not just a coach. He actually taught players how to play, but they also, some of them went on to be coaches. I don't want to make you just a player in the game. I don't want to make you just a player in the game, or worse than that, I don't want you to sit in the pew and be a pew potato and not even be in the game, but you're in the stands. But that you all would be a part of the game. You'd be all part of the mission, all part of the purpose of being disciples who follow our Lord who are being changed and conformed to the image of Christ and who are part 
of the mission. I hope at New Covenant you get very uncomfortable in being a pew potato. I hope you get very uncomfortable when you start to feel peer pressure where you need to get involved. You see, Jesus intentionally prepared his followers to go and make disciples. And when Jesus returned to his heavenly father, they waited in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit fell on them, and then they went out and began to be disciple makers, did they not? They were amazingly successful in building disciples and disciple makers. And my friends, today, you are a result of that. Today, you sit here in this congregation, all because men and women followed the master. And they became disciples, and they became disciple makers. And that word has now come to you. Think, just think for a moment. Who was it in your life that helped you to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? What if they had never been reached? See, the cost of discipleship is not just how much time it's going to take out of your schedule or how much money it may take out of your pocket to help somebody. The cost is if you don't. The cost is if you don't disciple someone. The cost is, is if, the cost is what if you don't do something? What if you guys don't get involved in your school and affect somebody? What if the next president of the United States is in class with Gage? Or the next Billy Graham? Or the next apostle? What if they're in your school and they just flippantly bypass you because you're not being a part of their life? See, Jesus found 12 guys that were really serious. And I know there's 12, there's 10, there's three that are serious in your schools that want to know about Christ. There are. There's people at Galena's work at Walmart. I guarantee it. There's people in your life who are in desperate need of Christ. And the cost of discipleship is if we don't ever disciple anyone. Then the mission is aborted. The purpose of why we even exist is not to make our life easy. It's not to have a nice home and a picket fence and three children and 1.5 dogs. The mission is not to get $500,000 in the bank so that you can retire and have to do nothing. That's the American dream. And the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That'll preach. 
So there are basic things that you need to know about your faith to help people, but the key is, what are you doing to be discipled? So that you can help disciple someone else. Are you asking for help? Are you learning and growing? Are you worshiping? Are you seeking God? Are you committed to the four essential elements of the church out of Acts chapter 2? Which most people don't even have a clue what they are. Oh, by the way, for your homework, go ahead and read Acts chapter 2. And tell me what are the four essential elements that the early church went through. You might, be, might find it very interesting that that's what you need to be committed to. I want to read a quote to you. I love this quote. And we're getting close. Wow, it's 3 to 12, and I'm almost done. This is awesome. So I'm talking about being intentional. we got to be intentional leaders like Jesus. we got to be intentionally following Christ. And we got to be intentionally leading others and discipling others. Are you getting that part of the message? That's my whole point today. This is a quote by Oswald Chambers. I think you guys will like it. Hopefully it convicts you like it did me. Everybody listen. Ears on. Until others learn to draw on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself directly, they will have to draw on his life through you. You must literally be their source of supply until they learn to take their nourishment from God. I want to read it again. Until others learn to draw on the life of the Lord Jesus directly, they will have to draw on his life through you. You must literally be their source of supply until they learn to take their nourishment from God. Now this process of infant to child to young adult to being a parent is a process. I realize that you cannot be the source of someone's Christ when you're barely born again yourself. And so it's very important that you learn where you're at so that you know who you can help. So if I'm an infant and I barely know Christ, I'm probably going to be reaching to somebody below me who is not even born again. You see what I'm saying? If I am a child, I'm probably going to be ministering and helping somebody that's an infant. If I'm a young adult, I'm probably going to be helping someone that is a child or uh, an infant or someone that's not born again. Are, are you with me? You just have to be a step ahead. Are you with me? And here's my question for you today. This is where the Holy Spirit, we draw on him to really challenge our hearts. Is anyone drawing life from you? Until others learn to draw on the life of the Lord Jesus himself directly, they will have to draw on his life through you. You must literally be their source of supply until they learn to take their nourishment from God. Is anyone taking nourishment from you? Are you intentionally pouring into anyone? And are you intentionally growing in your walk with Christ? Powerful questions. Holy Spirit, where are we at? 
when I posted those passages up on Matthew and Luke and we saw what Jesus went through and we see how he went to the Sea of Galilee and he purposely moved to a small community and he began his public ministry there. He was intentional and he starts drawing people to himself and he starts to pour into people on purpose. I have failed as an intentional leader many times. I've been like the basketball coach that I described where you're, you're, one thing's not building on another, but you're just helping so many people. You're just helping. Here, why don't you try to be a guard right now? And why don't you try to be a forward? <laughs> and I'm growing. I'm saying, God, help me to become a greater intentional leader. I don't want to just let life happen. Anybody else? I want to know the game. I want to know the game plan, and I want to be purposeful, intentional in the game plan. Intentional leaders are growing and changing themselves through Christ, and they become a role model, a coach in the faith to help others on their journey. So my question is, is who do you think you can help? If you're at school, you know, God's not going to require Abraham or Gage or these guys to help 10 or 12 or 15 it's like look for one look for one affect one what would it be if all of us just took one what would this church look like in a year if we all just had one person we were pouring into instead of us needing poured into all the time instead of us sucking on the 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 udder What would it be? Oh, let me get the other out again. Oh, let me get the other one out. Gross, I know, but really, I mean, you've got to make a demand on the gift. You've got to get off your butt and your derriere, and you've got to say, I'm going to help someone. I mean, some of the phone calls I get, it's like, really? What do you want me to do with that? Really? I'm not going to be at church today because of this. Really? Wow. How's that working for you? Suck it up, soldier. Tighten your belt. Don't miss it for life. Don't miss it for hell. Don't miss it for nothing. We got to be get equipped. We got to get moving. I mean, if this is all you're getting, you're going to be starving. This was never meant, this, this culture, this environment right here is only for inspiration, encouragement, and getting in unity for the mission. But the mission's out there. That'll preach too, won't it? But if each one of us took one person, this church would be totally different. If each of us just took one person and we poured into them to where once we were done pouring into them and they were receiving life from Jesus themselves and now they were pouring into somebody else and they were discipling somebody else on this process, this building process of our faith, this town could be reached for Jesus Christ in about 15 years. Just if we did one. Oh, Eric, I'm not qualified. 
Neither am I. I'm just a crazy old banker that's decided to follow Jesus. Not crazy. Just in love with Jesus. So here's where I want to go today. I believe our God is convicting us and challenging us. I believe if there is no one drawing life from you, then you are not drawing life from Jesus. We are to be a tributary. We are to be not a reservoir. We are not to hold water and hold water and hold water. We're to let it go. And you have stuff inside of you you need to let go to other people and help others. Can I have an admittance on that? Okay. Stand with me. We're going to let the Lord do some intentional Holy Ghost conviction and and you're going to make some commitments to the Lord. Now, next week, what we're going to do, we're going to do something a little different. Jesus was an intentional leader that knew the game plan, and he took people someplace. Next week, we're going to talk about how intentional leaders must evaluate their players in order to know how to equip them. And so we're going to talk about how you need to evaluate where you're at, whether you're the infant, child, young adult, parent, where you're at, because you have to identify where you're at in order to know where you need to move to. Can I have an amen on that? And so Brian Hughes is going to share a message on how to identify where you're at and evaluate where you're at so that we can move this people, all of us, down the road. Does that sound good? Jesus evaluated, excuse me, where the disciples were at and then he coached them based upon where they were at. He tested them. He gave them questions. And so right now, the Spirit of God is here today to convict us for not being intentional leaders, for not being intentional in our discipleship, for we're not being intentional in where we're going. we got to get in the game plan. And I know the Spirit of God is convicting us that, wow, there is nobody following me, maybe. And so the question that I'm going to propose to you, why don't we just close our eyes here? This is a profound question. Are you guys ready for it? What are you going to do? Would you just ask the Spirit of God, what are you trying to do in my heart with this message? This is where the Holy Spirit does His work. And this is where we have to obey him. I'm going to ask the question again. All eyes closed. Is anyone drawing life from you? Are you intentionally pouring into anyone? I'm not talking about my basketball coach that flew by the seat of his pants. I'm talking, are you intentionally pouring into anyone? Is anyone drawing strength from you? And if not, would you ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart?
would you repent and turn for the kingdom of heaven is at hand we have many people going to hell because we're so busy with our lives we have so many people around us that do not know Jesus We have so many people that are infants and not growing because no one's helping them. You may say, well, gosh, God, I just have my family. I, I'm, I'm worrying about my own kids. That's it. Oh, what a shame. What a shame when the role is called up yonder and you go and there's no one with you. There's no treasures in heaven. There's no others that are there because of you. What a shame that will be. There will be a cost that you didn't get in the mission, that you didn't get in the game. Like Rachel preached several months ago, I'm all in. All the chips are on the table, and I'm in. I'm in with God. I'm in what he, what he wants to do, with what he wants to do. The chips are all on the table. Are you in the game or are you going to just watch the basketball game in the field house from the top rung? Go home from church and say, boy, that was a good service. Come back next Sunday, hear a message, great worship, watch on the sideline. See, the purpose isn't to watch the game. The purpose is to get in the game. Spirit come forgive us for our selfishness forgive us Lord for where we fall short I come against condemnation but I welcome conviction I welcome your conviction on my heart God because I need to become a better and a more intentional leader pray that you would help our students, Lord God, that they would see that they're on a mission in their schools and that you're wanting to use them to turn kids back to you, that their school needs you, Jesus, that this nation needs you, God, and that you want to use all of us to bring a nation, a nation back to you. So Lord, I ask that you would deal with our hearts because we want to be a part of, of your mission, Lord. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, if you need to do business with God, if you're here today and you want to jump in that mission and you want to commit and you want to put the chips on the table, maybe you're here and you've not even made a commitment to Christ, but you want to be a part of this mission. We're going to have our altar team ministry here. We're going to help and we'll, we'll pray with you. We'll help get you on this path. But maybe you're here today and 
you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've not been about the mission. Maybe you just need to fall on your knees before God at this altar. We'll leave you alone. Maybe you just need to allow the Spirit to convict you and to change you and to turn you. Or maybe you're here today and you've been an intentional leader. You've been helping people to follow Christ, but maybe you've not been very intentional. And you're like me. God's been convicting you to change the way you do the things that you do. Maybe it's time for you to get serious with the Lord and asking Him how He wants to do that. But I hope today that you will do business with God. I am here as a messenger declaring repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we must turn to our God and give him everything. Can I have a witness on that? Father, I ask right now that you would seal this word in our hearts. I pray, God, that the birds would not come and pick the seed away. I pray, God, that our hearts would not be of stone where there's no root for this word to go deep, but God, that, the, 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 that your word would produce in us what you want it to do. I come against the cares of this life that choke off this word, the busyness of life, the schedules, the things that we have to do. God, let it not steal this word. Let not the busyness of this world, God, steal this word in our hearts. May we meditate on this as we leave, God, so that it, we are the soil of your field. So that we would be the people that this word comes and the seed is planted and that we would become changed after today. And that it would produce a harvest of disciple makers who are after your heart and what you want and your mission. That we would be intentional leaders following after your ways, your purpose, and your desires. In Jesus' name, seal that word and seal that word in Jesus' name. I come against backlash. I come against the enemy that wants to steal and take. And I say you cannot have this word. This word is for the body of Christ to take it and to eat it and to be changed by it. I thank you for this word, God. Seal it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to open the altars. You could have the ministry team come up. If you need prayer, please come. Be released. I would encourage you maybe take your conversation outside. That way, if there's anybody being ministered to, they would be able to be ministered to. May God bless you as you go into the mission field. Bless you in Jesus' name.